welcome to Girl on the Gov, the podcast. Where our goal is to make politics more accessible and less intimidating. The show features an interview with an expert in the political field, walking us through the many cues we have about politics, civics, government, and more. By providing civic education in the places we are, on our phones, and in the language we speak. And yes, we know, we say like a lot. It's kind of the point. Because politics needed a rebrand. Welcome back to Girl and the Gov podcast. Happy Wednesday. Woo! Wednesday. Shout out to the San Francisco 49ers. We are going to the fucking Super Bowl and we're playing Taylor Swift, which is pretty crazy. I honestly like didn't think I knew we were going to be in the Super Bowl, but I honestly didn't think the Kansas City Chiefs would be in it again and that we would be going up against Taylor Swift herself. But it's pretty crazy. Wild. Um, you know, I know nothing. I did see a meme, though, that was talking about how in 2020 it was the Chiefs and the 49ers and Biden versus Trump. And now it's 2024. Yes. And it's like the same thing. And I'm like, OK, well, like, you know, you know what, what I think it is? What? Everyone's like, oh, God, like that was when the pandemic started was when the Kansas City Chiefs beat the 49ers in the 20 or yeah, it was 2020 Super Bowl, right? I guess. It was the 2019 season, but the Super Bowl is like. February in that okay. yeah so people were like oh god like what's about to happen in the world and I think it's just like because the Kansas City Chiefs won and the 49ers did it like the world turned to shit you know and so when the Niners win in two weeks world peace might happen <laughs> look we we love world peace we endorse world peace that is our platform world peace and you know wearing the right sweater on May 2nd or whatever that like miscongeniality quote is. But I feel like they similar, like both teams have kind of similar colors. Am I right? Very. Yeah. We're technically red and to, gold. I think they're like red and yellow. So it's literally the same. See the difference of that on a field. Like this is why they can't even watch. I'll just be too overstimulated. I'm going to, this is how I'm watching the Super Bowl. I'm going to text you and ask you who won. That's it. I wonder if there'll be any interesting political ad placements in the Super Bowl ads this year. Okay, now you're trying to reel me in. I see. I see what you're doing here. <laughs> well, also, are you an Usher fan? Because no, I'm not like no. not like he can do whatever he wants. Like no, like I don't have. You didn't like grow up him. listening to Usher. I did, but it's not like I was like obsessed with him as a kid. So which random. Is, I mean, he's an icon. He has so many bangers. I think you forget how many bangers he has. He definitely does. It's just not like he it doesn't it doesn't get me going. I'm not like, oh my God, super fan, like so excited. I'm like, oh my God, wait, he's still relevant. No, no, no. You know what I'm I mean? I'm not super like, fan, but I'm just excited for the bangers because I always forget about them. And then there's like daddy's home and you know, love in this club, and it just goes crazy. So should we go to Vegas? Yeah. Have you been to Vegas? I haven't. And I'll be honest, I have no interest. Okay, so my friends, a few of them have never been to Vegas either. And they're like, it scares me. I have no interest to ever go. And I'm like, I get that from a distance. Looks terrible. But you you just have to go to Vegas before you die. Like there's not, you just have to. It's such an experience, even if it's terrible. It's such a mind-blowing place. Like the fact that it even exists, it's just, it's fascinating. Well, you know, if anyone ever tries to kill me, I'm going to say, you can't do this. You cannot because I have to go to Vegas first. 
We have yes, never is. been to Vegas. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm kidding. No one kill me, please. Thanks. XOXO. No, please, nobody. And then from there, I go to a just... club and go to Miami. Like it's also East Coast, West Coast. Like Vegas is like closer to you, so I feel like Vegas is like the West Coast, Miami, and vice versa. You know, it is. Yeah, but it's just it's still so different. And Miami's so different. I'm glad I experienced Miami. I don't know that I'll go back, but that is totally fair. I'm glad I experienced it. If of all the trips that we need to plan, you bring me <laughs> and force me to go to Las Vegas, I will one lose day. It. Just one day. We don't have a Super Bowl trip. Okay. Fine. Unless anyone wants to give us Super Bowl tickets, like I'm you here, know I'm ready. Look, for that, I would do it. But, like, not next to any crazy fans. Like, I don't like when people get insane. Oh. Well, the thing is, is the Super Bowl tickets are so expensive. Like, the real fans aren't even there. So. That's a fair point. It's just all the rich people. It is a problem. It is. Like, because you know how, like, Luke Combs did that thing where it's, like, he only makes tickets, like, a certain price. He, I mean, granted, he gets screwed with, like, Ticketmaster and all that stuff. But, like. Yeah. To his actual fans, no. And I think that is just. Snaps. Yeah. That's what my last snaps remaining brain cell we love Luke. is saying. Mm. You don't like Luke Combs? I mean, I like Luke Combs. I just usually don't like people named Luke. Mm. There it is, folks. That just gave me like a visceral reaction. Like I can't With me even... saying, I love Luke, you just freaked out. You're like, which Luke? <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm like, you take that back. And you put those words back in your mouth. Pull them up into the brain and cancel them out. Who's Luke? I guess we'll never know. Never know. Thou who shall not be named that was named. Mm. This is an X if anyone's not connecting <laughs> those dots. Well, we I actually have a story amazing... for you offline for that, by the way. Oh, okay. Offline. I'm... Yeah. Mm. Can't wait. Well, we do have an amazing episode today with an absolute icon who I believe we're getting like some fresh content with mm-hmm. this week, which will be very fun for everyone. No, literally facts. So our guest this week is Sydney Levin Epstein. She works at Arena. You guys may know Arena from a past episode of ours, actually. And she really specializes in campaign finance. So we're going into that whole conversation like what does that look like like what do jobs and campaign finance actually look like how do you get trained for them like what is like a day in the life all of that so that is like a big part of this episode and getting you guys familiar with that especially if you are interested or considering like that would be like a path you'd be curious about as for in person yeah i'm seeing sydney tomorrow oh i guess on the day this comes out so anyways we're gonna we're gonna try and get some fun content for you guys did my alex earl ringley little thing break didn't say RIP. Yes, it did. So prayers to us. Prayers to us. Just got to get that good natural lighting, which New York City isn't quite known for, but. No. no, it really isn't. I literally was like taking photos yesterday and I was like, oh my God, who is that scarecrow? Like I literally deceased. I, I was like, I know I don't look like that, but the winter time doesn't help, obviously. No. And my Botox is fading itself in the middle. It just was like so many things going on. But anyways, circling back without further ado, here is Sydney. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. 
Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. If you work in the political space, listen up. Here at Girl on the Gov, we have built our whole business around effectively marketing political messaging through digital media. And we want to help you do the same. We have a full digital media consulting menu these days tailored specifically to the political space. Number one, hashtag viral. It is our paid social media newsletter that comes straight to your inbox every Tuesday. If you've ever thought uh, this meeting could have been an email, this newsletter is for you. We give basics to best practices, platform updates, and the content ideas you need to go hashtag viral. And for offering number two, if you want some one-on-one face-to-face attention, we offer that too. We provide social media audits and consulting to help you achieve the conversions and engagement you've been hoping for from your social media content. And number three, in our newest edition, Podcast Consulting, we are the minds behind this gorgeous political podcast for young voters that we've been running for two and a half years now. So we know a thing or two about how not only to get a podcast off the ground, but how to grow an audience. We provide podcast consulting for anyone trying to get their podcast started or provide podcast audits for those who have started their pod but want to see it take off. Podcasting is a great new in-house digital media marketing tool and a great way for any candidate elected or org to amplify their work and their voice. So head to girlonthegov.com slash consulting to learn more about our services and to sign up for hashtag viral to start slaying the beast that is digital media. Skeptical about custom beauty? I get it. My feed is flooded with customized this and personalized that, all promising to fix my split ends and my dry skin and all of the things. But when pros says custom, they actually mean it. It's no gimmick. And your formula literally couldn't exist without you. Each and every bottle of pros custom hair care and skin care is made to order and personalized with a unique blend of naturally powerful and proven effective ingredients to meet your needs. Their in-depth consultation analyzes over 80 factors for a complete view of your life and beauty goals, and they get personal. Pros covers everything from diet, exercise, and stress levels to uncover what's impacting your hair and skin health. They even asked me about, you know, where I live, the water hardiness that I have coming from my shower, UV index, all of the things. Next, they recommended a full routine of truly personalized products, which were only produced after I placed my order. Nothing premixed, nothing off the shelf. And I know from experience, one-of-a-kind formulas equal one-in-a-million results. Since I switched to pros, I've noticed that my hair is definitely fuller. I have thinner hair that just like will not hold a curl or stay voluminous. And ever since using pros, that has changed. But don't just take my word for it. In a third-party, double-blind, dermatologist-supervised, controlled clinical study, aka the gold standard in research studies, pros proved that personalization works better than off-the-shelf alternatives. Try it for yourself and get your healthiest hair in 30 days or your money back. Pros is so confident that you'll love your results that they're offering an exclusive trial offer. So you can see the difference custom care can make. 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash girlandgov. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash G-I-R-L-A-N-D-G-O-V for your free consultation and 50% off your one-of-a-kind formulas. Pros.com slash girlandgov. All right, Sydney, it is so exciting to have you on the podcast. We are obviously 
fans and fans of all you do at Arena and all that you do for prepping people in the campaign world to run amazing campaigns because we need more of those. Let's be so fucking for real. And we want to start with getting some background on you and your journey in the campaign world. You're big on finance. You're a deputy finance director for Senator Ed Markey, who is like such a legend too, such a freaking legend. And we want to know, like, what is that role like? Like, what is a finance director? What do they do? Can you give us all the tea? Yeah, no, let's dive right in because the campaign fundraising world is sometimes confusing and elusive. And I frankly never thought I would be in this line of work. I served in three congressional sessions, convinced I would be a policymaker. I love getting into the nitty gritty, finding out what the real issues are and solving problems. But in the summer of 2019, when Senator Markey received notice that he would be challenged and it would be a historic primary, I like could not believe that someone who I had spent years working for, who was such a staunch advocate of my progressive values, might not, might make, was being challenged. And I just knew I needed to get on this campaign, but I had no political experience. I had no campaign experience. I was on the policy side and they're different worlds. So mm-hmm. I sought out the campaign manager on LinkedIn and I asked him for 15 minutes on the phone. I was like, I need, I need to like figure out how I can get involved. 15 minutes turned into two hours and a job offer. I was asked to go onto the campaign as one of the first staffers as a special projects manager, which like not a real title in the campaign, (laughs) like not a thing. And so I somehow found the audacity to negotiate a salary for a job description that wasn't clear on a campaign that was still being built. And the campaign manager, John Walsh, who became one of my greatest mentors, and I'm so thankful for him. He just said to me, uh, he just said to me straight up, he was like, well, if you're asking me for this much money, you should be asking other people for money and I'm going to put you on the finance team. And that was the beginning of a career that has not only changed my life, but has helped elect other members of Congress, helped different organizations exceed their budgets because we need more fundraising staff. And I'm just so grateful that all it took was some chutzpah to get here. We love Hutzpah and let us just say we could not relate more to the let's like have a 15 minute call turning into two hour situation because that's literally like our founding story and like connecting. Maddie literally DM'd me and was like, let's start a podcast. Me not knowing this girl across the freaking country. And we hopped on literally a call and like two hours later, we're like, oh, okay, we have a podcast. So I just think if anything from both these stories, people just like need to take more risks. They need to literally jump into the DMs. Totally. Oh, yeah. Shooters got to shoot, man. Like (laughs) those mouths don't get fed. I say it all the time in fundraising. Like you just have to make the ask and take the risk because you never know where it'll take you. Absolutely. Well, kind of getting more into this campaign finance world, what are some of just like the main fundamentals of how campaign finance really works, especially when you are leading a campaign through that and, you know, raising money? Like, what are some of those maybe like also like when you first got hired, like what were some of those first steps and those first moves you have to make to get a campaign rolling? So when I first got hired, I didn't know what I was doing. I was thrown into a fire and had to figure out how not to burn. And through those experiences, and it's one of the many reasons why I support organizations like Arena, where they are training staff on how to really do this work and to professionalize this industry, 
Because what we need more of in campaign fundraising is this operational administrative component. There are two avenues to my work. I maintain relationships. I listen to people. I meet new people. I find out what they care about. And then I connect them with causes that need funding. And that's pretty much what I would call the external side, right? I'm out in the bow. I'm meeting. I'm going around, getting drinks, like having the time of my life because I'm meeting with people and talking about things they really do care about. And then the internal side, it's making sure like there's a great Taylor Swift quote of keep your side of the street clean. And that's what I do as a campaign fundraiser is I keep everything organized. I make sure that our spreadsheets are functioning, our line items are making sense, that our numbers are adding up, that we have a plan. There is a strategic component to these relationships that we are able to appropriately leverage them in order to maximize the return on that time to fund a campaign. So at this big macro level, it's thinking about what are these issues that are facing the democratic ecosystem? And on the micro mm-hmm. level, it's building the strategy to hit those fundraising goals to help alleviate the pains of those issues. Totally. Which complicated, complicated, complicated. Is there a world in which there are campaigns where a person only handles one side of that coin and there's other team members handling the rest? Like how does that breakdown sort of look in the campaign world? I think a great comparison is thinking about the candidate as that external force, right? The candidate is the one who's on the phone with donors. They're on the TV ads. They're knocking on doors. It's their name on the ballot. And they need a team in order to be successful on election day. And so that's where that finance staff is so, so critical because they're the ones creating and developing the strategic approach for the candidate to be successful. And more specifically, that could be meetings in a call time program or a text message program who hasn't received an email from a campaign asking for $5 if it was like live or die situation, right? Like those all come from that strategic, that team side of the work. Oh, God. Well, in that case, I think there's a lot of people on those teams that probably want my throat because I have, we have a series on TikTok called Text Mess to Tech Success, where we literally make over bad campaign texts. I have given some good reviews. There's occasionally a good one, but I'm always like, huh, like who's behind these texts? Like who do I need to have a conversation with? Because the live or die situation is always something comical. Like, if you don't, like, give $5 now, the world will come, like, crashing down and aliens will invade. Like, the drama is next level sometimes, so I'm always curious. But I'm also curious from, like, a solutions-oriented perspective of things. Like, what works in campaign finance? Like, what are those things that, like, really, like, bring the dollars in for candidates? I, first of all, am like, so with you, I am not of, like, the fear tactic shtick. I think it's dated. It is ineffective. The numbers prove it too. It has a like cycle after cycle. It is not having any return. It's also just kind of psychological warfare. Like, don't tell me the world is going to end on my text messages. Like I'm making sure my Grubhub is being delivered, right? Like those are the only reasons I want SMSs coming to me by any means. So I think the way is that like the future of campaign fundraising and the ways that Democrats can continue to be more successful is remembering that there are two sorts of ways to help any campaign. The first might be volunteering, getting on the phones, knocking on doors, reaching voters directly. That requ- that means your asset is time. You are able to commit time to a cause. Time is a very valuable asset, one that I cherish deeply. But not everyone has time to give. 
The other avenue is financial resources. And some people, that's their only capacity that they have to give. They don't have that time to go and do- to donate on a campaign, but they do have the fundraising and the financial resources to be involved civically. And I think remembering that donors are also people, there's like this whole thing of like, like big money or like this scary concept. At the end of the day, some people, that's all they have to give. And granted, all they have is very valuable. That fills a budget that makes sure staff are paid appropriately, that health insurance is covered, that you can have a retirement plan program on a campaign, that you can improve quality of life while also reaching as many voters as possible and humanizing those interactions by listening to people. That's why I mentioned earlier something I love so much about my role. Like I might meet someone who they might not be a good fit for what I'm fundraising for, but I get to hear what their interests are and then maybe connect them with a candidate across the country or a different cause where they're able to give their resources otherwise. And it's just like being a real person. Why must that be such a rare concept and like treat people with that way, knowing that their money is valuable just as our time is valuable? Mm -hmm. I'm curious like what some of the, I guess, rules are as when you raise money for a campaign, like, what what can you do? What can't you do? Like, what are some of the, like, laws in place of, like, certain amounts of contributions? Just, like, kind of paint that picture of how that, you know, there's these rules in place that, like, have to go into a strategic plan for fundraising. So federal and state laws have different maximum contributions. So sometimes you'll hear about these max donors, double max. And what that means is the amount of money that you're able to give per election cycle. As a finance director, as a development director, anyone working in the campaign fundraising space, you want to know how much that maximum is so that you're not over asking or under asking, that you're hitting within that line. But that's also why you hire great compliance firms and attorneys to make sure you're staying within the rules and regulations of whatever election that you're working on, because these numbers change over cycle. And campaign finance laws are confusing. They're hard to track. And I am not a lawyer. I am a practitioner and bringing money in the door, but certainly not in other spaces. And so I just hire smarter people around me to keep us all in our lanes and preventing any issues. Which I'm like curious from like the smaller campaign end of things where there's not as like many resources. The funds are obviously just like a little smaller in terms of like how someone starts the campaign off. Like what does someone like that do? Like, say they're running for a state ledge. Like, how do they bring people into the fold without having the budget to do so? I ran for state senate last election cycle with a relatively small budget. It was over under 200000 I did not have the means to be hiring many attorneys or campaign po- um, compliance firms like to do this work. And each state body that oversees how you fundraise has access to this information as well as on-call people to refer to. And a lot of campaign compliance consultants have pretty affordable rates because they want to hit as many campaigns as they can. So there are resources available to ensure that you are staying within the law. And this is something, I mean, I am speaking from personal experience. It's really hard to run for office on many levels, but it's also can be difficult to navigate like what is and isn't kosher. And I'm very thankful for the Massachusetts Office of Campaign Finance, Campaign Campaign Politics, OCPF. It's like a really long acronym, but with their resources, making their customer service super easily available, helping to correct if a reporting was wrong, that really makes and breaks all the differences, ensuring that your state compliant, your state regulatory body is properly funded and serves as a resource to campaigns. 
And so what what are some of the other like institutions and agencies that finance directors typically work hand in hand with? Like we talk a little bit about the FBC, but are there any others? I would say so for the most part, when you were talking about FEC or these regulatory bodies, you're going to be working with an intermediary of a compliance firm. The finance director's primary role is like oversee the team. They're the top of the pyramid with a bunch of people underneath managing different roles and responsibilities. Now, sometimes that finance director is a team of one and they're having to seek out consultants or other peers to help bring it in. But the regulatory bodies that you're referring to tend to be mostly navigated with the help of others. And that's one of the best parts about being in the political world is like, this is a game of addition. We are only successful when we're bringing more people into the fold. So whether that is consultants, other experts, and a lot of people tend to want to help because it's an issue-based thing. It's a value-based cause. We're raising it to something other people likely believe in. And so just keeping, again, like keeping people who are smarter than you around you at all times, I think is one of a, a critical component to success and also just like accountability. Totally. I feel like it's one of the only industries where like the exclusivity doesn't really play with the majority of people involved. Whereas like you yeah. look at any other industry and it's like more exclusive you make something, the more it sells, the more people want it. And like in politics, it's all about coalitions and bringing people together. So it's a funny like comparison to, I guess, like the rest of the world and how it operates and all of that. But I am curious how people get into campaign finance. Like, is there a type of job that people typically have first? Is it something where you graduate college and you're like, yep, I'm hopping into the madness, the craziness, going right into campaigns? What does that look like? I have found that many people share my story of like not really knowing how we got here, but now we're here. And I would love to be a part of changing this by creating a more systemic approach to recruiting smart and bright talent into what is a recession-proof industry. Many who are soon-to-be grads, I don't think fully appreciate that there is always going to be an election right? There's always going to be another campaign. And this is a quiet trillion dollar industry. The amount of money that funnels through American politics must be managed, allocated, and then deployed effectively in order to ensure whatever cause you care about is most successful. And I'm really hoping that within this next election cycle and the year following, that we are able to just broaden our horizons, bring more people into the fold, especially from diverse backgrounds, in order to understand that they have a role here and that they can do the work. Totally. I always say that the recession-proof career path, I always say that. And I think that needs to be said more, trying to get more people into the fold because it's so true. But also just curious, like campaign finance or just really like fundraising in general, like is this a role that is typically harder to recruit for in the political space? And if so, like, why is that? Money's hard to talk about, right? We've all grown up with like different anxiety, their neuroses, I certainly have, of like not knowing when to ask for what or how how much. And one of the shifts that really helped me be successful in my role was understanding I'm not asking donors to pay my rent. This isn't personal, right? I am asking them to fund a cause I care about. I want donors to see the benefit in supporting long-term growth of the Democratic Party, building a progressive staffing pipeline, helping to ensure that there is a next generation of leadership there. That is not, again, 
paying my rent, right? I'm not making that personal ask. And so when I was able to differentiate the professional and the personal side, I was able to see it more successful. And I use this example because something I hear frequently from young fundraisers is this like anxiety. They didn't grow up with money. They never talked about money at the kitchen table. This was something weird to them. Or even like as like a young gal, a especially my early 20s, when I would go to dinner with my girlfriends, I would always get a Venmo request for dinner after dinner. There was never a conversation about how much does everyone want to spend on Friday? Like, what's your budget? So sometimes we would go to restaurants that were out of budget for some gals and under budget for some gals. Why have we created this culture where it's taboo to say, oh, I've got $50 to spend on Friday. Like, where are we getting drinks? Right. How do we reverse the culture of money to make it way easier to chat about it and to create healthier relationships around us? I believe as that becomes more a part of the zeitgeist, we'll be able to see more and more people attracted to fundraising. Yeah. And add the you know, politics and is- the politics and money, the two taboo things. <laughs> Yeah. Meanwhile, that's like all I talk about, right? It's like the Democratic Party and like my dividend. Like, let's get into it. No, literally, I was at a Christmas party, obviously, over like the little Christmas season. And I was trying to think, I was like, okay, like, what can I talk about that's not controversial? And I was like, I've got nothing. Like politics, religion, money, the economy. Like I was like, literally everything that I was thinking of, I was like, I'm screwed. It's fine. I'm just going to like bring out the big spoon and like pot stir over here because what else am I going to do? Like, yeah. No, but I do think like we need to make things less taboo to talk about. All of those topics, obviously, very much a part of it. And the more normal it becomes, the easier it does become to have those conversations. But I'm super curious what some of those conversations over the years have looked like. Like, what does a typical, and maybe, I don't know if you could even say a fundraising conversation is typical because it's pretty personal, I'm sure. But what generally, you know, goes on? Like, is there a structure to a conversation that you like to use? You know, what does that look like? Um, It's most important for me to understand who I'm speaking with. If I'm talking with a donor and I'm speaking the majority of the time, I'm not going to get a donation. I need to understand what that human being cares about because I'm asking them to invest in a cause. Political giving is not a charity. In fact, like I I tend to not in my long day to day not use the words like donation. I'm asking for an investment. I'm asking for a contribution to a cause. You are this is not a tax write-off, right? We are not nonprofits. I am genuinely asking them to invest in something bigger than themselves. And in order to do that effectively, the conversation needs to be both value-based, personal, and also like aligned with whatever their objectives are. And like any anything, it's listening, asking questions, presenting a case that aligns with those values and seeing if we work well together. Honestly, it's a lot like dating, right? Like not every person I go on a date with is going to be my match. Neither is not every donor I'm going to meet with going to be my match. But as I continue to have these conversations and see where the values align, that's where like good things happen. Like you want to be able to connect people that care about the same things. Totally. No, you said something before where I was like, oh my God, this is like literal like Yenta work. Like this is matchmaking made in heaven and I'm obsessed. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I love that. Well, let's talk a little bit about Arena too, because Arena has a lot of trainings on different segments of campaigns. I did Arena last year for the comms track, but there's this finance track too. Can you kind of explain like what happens in those trainings and especially in this finance track and what like people can learn? 
Um, Maddie, I'm so excited that you, I didn't know you were also an ARENA alum, and I hope that you both join us at ARENA Summit in Georgia this April. Um, it's going to be our first and only big in-person training this year, and I'm just like really looking forward to convening both alumni and participants, as well as donors. Like It's going to be such a beautiful convergence of this ecosystem. So I really hope to see you both in Georgia in April in person. And I also am an alum of the finance track. And I'm just so grateful for that experience because as we talk about these emotional anxieties and this Yenta component of fundraising, going back to this earlier point of like getting into the micro and that nitty gritty. And the strength of Arena's fundraising track has to do with breaking down the complicated and simplifying it, helping finance directors understand what is the finance plan? How do you build a timeline in which months, which quarters do you need to raise what amount to hit your budget? And then the how, breaking down what is your strategic approach? Who are you asking the money? Who are you asking for money from? What audiences are they? How do you approach them? And I find that level of specificity is what creates a sophisticated fundraising director or finance director. And we're seeing it more and more. I'm hoping that we can get this track, not only like over capacity, like I want everyone to become a fundraising director because it is truly unbeknownst to me how Republicans have been able to do it so effectively, but they have so many fundraising staff. Like they are bringing money in at a way, a larger scale, but also a more effective scale. And I know that Democrats are capable of not only competing, but exceeding what their raises are continuously. And that comes from that proper training and the ways in which our training director at Arena, Jess Weldon, has created a curriculum of that level of specificity is genius. Like I continue to benefit from Arena's trainings, that thought leadership helps guide how I make my own fundraising plans. Totally. I feel like training is the name of the game because why else would you know how to do all the things, you know? And I feel yeah. like for so long, we kind of talked about this on our, our other arena episode was just the fact that this is, has been for so long, such like a hole in the industry. Like where, you know, where were people learning all the skills besides like by fire, like on a campaign hoping for the best. And so especially on the, the Democratic side, it's so great that you guys are doing this and stepping into that and making sure that people actually have the skill set and the no, you know, knowledge to make these campaigns competitive. Because I also feel like that's like an under talked about part of this too. It's like having campaign staff that actually knows what the fuck they're doing mm -hmm. actually means you have a chance to win, especially in races that are either really tight or maybe never had a shot at all before they had well-trained campaign staff. And so I'm curious as well, like how the trainings have also helped win campaigns. Like, have you seen a correlation between what that looks like? Oh, exponentially. As a former campaign staffer and a candidate, what makes or breaks a race is having trained staff on your team. You cannot win without a team behind you because while it's your name on the ballot, that is only goes so far. Who is managing your time? Who's doing the outreach? Who's running your field program? Like we get so caught up in the name on the bumper sticker, forgetting who printed it. And I really want to see this emphasis and this spotlight on the teams that power victories within the Democratic Party. 
And that's the strength of arena. And we see that cycle after cycle, looking at the Kentucky's governor's race, the Pennsylvania State House, the work that we've done in Michigan, Arizona, Nevada, New Mexico, Texas. Like our work is growing and expanding because we focus not only on battleground states, but also building long term power. And that's only possible when you create core competencies, a highly sophisticated curriculum and ensure that our trainings are reaching the most diverse audiences. Yeah, it's crucial. And I think it's, you know, it's it's so helpful because politics is such a hard, hard like career path to get your foot into. And like even studying political science, I never really had classes in my major that did the campaign like simulation or did any like yeah. broke down any rules. I did like a Senate simulation, which was very fun, but never the campaign side. And I think often with campaigns, like it's so needed to get the training because it's so fast paced. It's you move so quick. And when you get hired, like you're expected to like hit the ground running and know what you're doing. And so the trainings are so, so helpful because just like there's not even like an onboarding period that's legit when you join a campaign. So we love Arena and love what y'all do there because it's so, so crucial. And I think the campaign or the finance side is so important too, because like you said, it's like breaking the taboo of politics is one thing, breaking the taboo of money and finance and asking for money is a whole nother thing. And so if that's of interest to people, I think it's definitely like so worthwhile to do those trainings. I think it's huge. If you can ask for money, you can also do anything, right? Like (laughs) once you get over a taboo or an obstacle, like Sky's the limit, folks. Like, I, and I really believe that now, and I'm seeing it with a lot of my peers in the space, and what that they have been able to accomplish is just remarkable, and it's inspiring. And I'm, I'm just hoping that we're able to continue to recruit this pipeline of staff, whether they are like undergraduates or young people or people looking to make career changes, because you don't need to have a background in finance. Like you don't need to be a policy person. You could have worked in catering in Atlanta, been a firefighter in Texas or, you know, working in fashion in New York. And it doesn't matter because you just need organized chutzpah to be successful at bringing money in the door. Totally. That said, I am curious Mm -hmm. about some of those career transitions. Like I have a really good guy friend that once he decides to be like, I'm over the finance career, like public sector, He's really wanting to, or sorry, private sector. He wants to get into campaign finance. I don't know when that's going to be. Obviously, I'm going to send him you guys, you know, your way when this happens. But nonetheless, like his questions have been like, how do I actually make that transition? Like, I know what I'm doing. I can count some numbers, put them together, like write a check. I get it. But like, what does that mean when, you know, taking a step away from one career and hopping into, you know, the campaign finance world? So your friend is coming to Arena at Summit obviously. in Georgia, obviously, <laughs> because that's our specialty is providing people without those backgrounds to become really, really good at this work. And I think those transitions come from understanding that micro and macro level of how do you keep a fi- how do you make a finance plan? What does those sh- like spreadsheets look like? How do you manage a team? How do you manage personalities? How do you tell your principal figure to ask for money when they don't feel like it? Like. There are all these other things that while I've learned on the job, thankfully, because of the curriculum at Arena, what have been like those conversations where you've been like, you know what, like maybe this isn't the right moment to ask, like, let me try and rework my strategy. So that being question one. 
And one has what has been like also a conversation where you're like, you know, I don't know if this is like going the right direction and it kind of turns around. Like, what are those dynamics like? Yes, this is why listening is so important because if someone is telling you that like they're having a bad day and they're going through a horrible family emergency, maybe it's not the time to push an end of quarter fundraising deadline with that person. Totally. Right. And so it's just about listening. I operate from an abundance mindset. If I am speaking with someone who I'm like, can tell a they're saying no in maybe more than one way and they're not my donor, that's okay. There are more donors out there. I just have to find them. And I tend to pivot in, in that direction. There have been other times where I will speak with a donor. I actually, I had this one call about a year ago that stands out where I was making a pitch. As he was asking highly sophisticated questions, wanted to know that the, like getting into the details and nitty gritty, but wasn't saying much. I could just tell by his questions. And he was either questioning me because he doubted what I was presenting or he was questioning me because he was considering investing. Right. And I didn't know which way to go. But again, as Maddie said, shooters got to shoot. <laughs> and I just shot. And thankfully, that did gross in a higher contribution than what I anticipated because I showed up prepared and unwavering. So it really has to depend. If you operate from an abundance mindset, if you take a risk and you act respectfully in that process while standing alongside the substance, you're likely to see a higher return on that meeting with a donor. That's such good advice. It literally goes right back to dating too, right? The abundance mindset. You're like, all right, he says no. There's plenty more out there. Here we go. Plenty. I'm clearly a Yenta. That's all <laughs> I've learned today. I'm obsessed that might be the we'll get to assign everything. Everything. Yeah. Yeah. Look, it is a fun career path. I'm just saying. I'm just putting it out there, all about it. it would be fun. My record is like say it's, zero, but like I've tried for fun. my finger. <laughs> you say it's fun and then something goes wrong. I think though, that's also a misconception yeah. about campaign fundraising is people think it's like super fun and glamorous, which it is. But there are many moments in my career where I have been with a member of Congress in the backseat of a sedan, giving him Skittles in order to incentivize him to call more donors. Like, I've been on this wild, wild journey. I have been in the basements of Dunkin' Donuts, um, helping to do call time. I have helped prep candidates across the country for things that they might have. They also might have had a bad day. And we can care about that bad day after the fundraiser. So for as glamorous as these components are, there is still this like hustle behind it. She's probably like a Yenta. I don't know if you've seen Jewish matchmaking, but like she's got a lot going on too. So. It's on my list. I will be binging <laughs> that this weekend. I've been like, okay. okay, I need to like have a few hours to just like really zone into it. So I'll let you know how it goes. <laughs> but I also didn't know that Dunkin' Donuts had basements. This is, yeah. that blows my mind as well. Interesting architectural detail. So we're just, wow. Okay, Dunks, really investing there, which is interesting nonetheless. Okay, well, in terms of campaign finance and, you know, closing notes for people that might be interested in this career, like what is like one yeah. thing that you would tell them to encourage them to get involved, to be like, let's make this your next job? It'll change your life. The rooms that I am in, the the um, the ways, it'll change your life, but it'll also change other people's lives and in a truly meaningful way. As Nearly as I hold my progressive values to my heart, I am also acutely aware that we live under capitalism and money is what moves this world. So being able to do that in like 
and, and to have the highest social impact is really important to me. The number one piece of advice that I would give to anyone considering this career and to encourage them to come into the fold is like, you are going to work hard and be really kind and you will be successful if you do that. Yes. Love that. Well, where can people find First All Arena and these trainings and the conference in Georgia? Where can they find you? Can they reach out if they have questions? Like give us all of the plugs. My DMs and arms are open. I want <laughs> to bring more people into this ecosystem. They can go to arena.run, see our fabulous new website. I've been really impressed with the way that we've launched it. And like, shoot me a DM, send one to the Arena Summit accounts as well. Like we want people in Georgia. We want people to show up, show out, like get ready to work this selection cycle. Democracy is literally on the line. The fragility of the stability of this nation has never been so prevalent in my eyes. And the way that we confront that and strengthen the power of our community is through collective action. And that happens at events like Arena Summit. Absolutely. Love it. Well, thank you so much for all the deets, all the tea, all the things. We are so excited for everyone to get into campaign finance, wink, wink, nod, nod for anyone watching this on YouTube. But again, thank you. And we look forward to seeing you maybe at Arena Summit. Yeah, see you in Georgia. Thank you. Thank you.